Hello and welcome back, or welcome to Thought Leaders, Future Shapers, a podcast brought to you by Committee for Ballarat, and we aim to inspire diverse thought leadership to unlock potential. I'm Michael Poulton, CEO for Committee for Ballarat, and am privileged to hear the amazing stories of leadership and innovation in our work with members every day of the week. This podcast is a chance to share those stories more broadly, in a setting that allows you to listen when it suits you. Each episode will feature an inspiring thought leader future shaper, and I can't wait to share their stories with you. Proudly, our podcast partner, Runway Ballarat, are also passionate about the stories of leadership, innovation, hustle, and ingenuity through their work fostering business startups and promoting collaboration. Thought Leaders Future Shapers is recorded right here in Ballarat in Runway's podcast studio. Before we start, I acknowledge that we are recording today's podcast on the traditional lands of the Wathaurong people. I welcome all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who might be joining us today, and I pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Today's thought leader, future shaper, is the CEO of Ballarat Turf Club, Belinda Glass. Belinda Glass, welcome to Thought Leaders, Future Shapers. Thanks, Michael. It's great to have a chat. Now, let's start with an update from you, Belinda, because uh, you're racing. You're one of the only sports that's going ahead right now. You are racing at the Turf Club. So um, how are things going up there? And will there be a cup in 2020? Well, they're very big questions. Um, we, we are racing and we're really lucky that Race Victoria instigated some very strict protocols very early in the piece with the COVID pandemic back in March. And they, are, I'm sure, what has allowed us to keep on racing. Um, we've had... Um, more than 20 race meetings since since the middle of March when, when COVID sort of struck everybody in Victoria a bit more seriously. Um, and it's, it's great to be racing, but it's a very different scenario, racing without anyone on course. So. Yeah. My, uh, my hockey club, Belinda, started to train. We, we had three weeks of playing with our juniors and then it all fell over again. So uh, 20 race meetings, uh, that you're the envy of most sports, I suspect. Yeah, look, I imagine we probably are, and we're just we're very lucky because it it was the 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 best scenario from a bad sort of out outcome or, or looking forward for us uh, for us to be able to keep racing and training was, was the best outcome for everybody. So um, it keeps uh, a lot of people employed, um, and it's um, obviously it becomes an animal welfare issue as well if those horses can't be racing and training as to what um, what what does happen to them and, and if there's enough paddocks even to tip those horses out if they're not training. Yeah. Now, look, um I, I understand that there's some real uh, concerns right across the board in terms of sport and how sport is having to apply by various requirements to keep going. But uh, no doubt in, in racing, you're dealing with people and animals. So it's uh, an added complexity. But uh, well done for keeping your community safe at this point in time. You know, we're pretty proud of our, our staff team um, and, and of the local trainers and, and trainers across the state as well who've been able to follow the protocols and um, and keep racing going because um, it, it's no mean feat and it has meant a lot of work um, and certainly some extra measures by a lot of people as well to, to just make sure that we have got the right protocols in place to provide um, a safe environment for racing to continue. So we're, we're 21 or so down. Um, we've got a couple of features coming up. Um, as you mentioned, we've got um, Ballarat Cup is our feature race meeting. Uh, and look, um, 21st of November, Ballarat Cup day is a while away. So let's hope that by then there's uh, there's you know some light at the end of the tunnel anyway. So Yeah, there, there is some hope for us, um, given that we're right at the end of the spring carnival as well. So um, 
we've got the best chance as anybody to have people back on course, but but how exactly that will look um, is really hard to picture at the moment. So from a budget perspective, we've tried to look at two or three different options of what that might mean, whether, whether there's no crowds um, as we are now, whether there might be some level of crowds or, or whether we'd look like um, having anything like, like our normal crowd of 10,000 people or so. Um, so we've got to obviously try and be reactive as, as the government protocols or restrictions change and, and as racing protocols and restrictions change, um, see where we sort of sit in that time frame um, as to what we might be able to do from a Ballarat Cup perspective. I, d- I don't think it'll be a Ballarat Cup like we're normally used to seeing, um, but, you know, the, ra- the race will go on and, and hopefully we can have um, an element of spectators on course, whether that be um, some restricted owners or members and, and maybe some key sponsors on course as well for that day. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed, Belinda, for you. And, uh, hey, it might even be that um, by that point in time we're coming out of restrictions and uh, we might have a huge crowd because it's the first chance people can get to, uh, to go to live sport in our area. So let's keep your fingers crossed for you. Wouldn't that be a great scenario? Be, yeah. <laughs> Belinda, this is Thought Leaders and Future Shapers. We do talk a bit about uh, our individual guests, so we're uh, really interested in you as the CEO of the Turf Club. We're also interested in what, uh, how you view the future and some of the things that, that your organisation is doing in the future. But let's, um, let's just go back a little bit. You're, you're CEO of the Turf Club. It was a club that was formed in 1853. The first cup was run, I believe, if I'm right, in 1864. So that's got to be one of the longest sporting traditions going around, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that it might be. Um, we do have a long, proud history of racing in, in Ballarat. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's an amazing effort, actually, when you look at it from that perspective um, and see the development that's uh, occurred in racing and at the Ballarat Turf Club in that time. Yeah. So tell us a bit about your history with the club. How did, um, how did you get to where you are now? What's your journey? Um, I am a, a Ballarat girl. So I was brought up um, on a farm in Ballarat and uh, did my schooling and studies here in Ballarat before moving away for, for a few years. Um, so my background's probably um, business management and marketing. And um, I guess even growing up here, I had no idea of the scale of the racing and training here in Ballarat, um, even though my school bus drove past the race course every day, um, didn't comprehend that it was a club that at that time probably had around 15 race meetings a year, um, maybe 20 race meetings a year, um, and all the scale and number of horses that would be be trained from a facility here in Ballarat. So um, my introduction to racing was when we first moved back to Ballarat in 2008 it was, um, after living away for about 10 years, I applied for a job to be club secretary at the Burrumbeet Racing Club. And so it's a once a year race club um, and has their race day on New Year's Day. I worked with that committee for four or five years and then um, we hosted jump outs and, and did some some training at Burrumbeet as well before um, Lachlan McKenzie was, was on that committee and, and he was appointed the CEO role at the Ballarat Turf Club. Um, and after having worked with him for a couple of years with, with Burrumbeet, um, he asked me to help with the Ballarat Cup in 2011. Um, so I did a contract role to assist in just the event management of the Cup back in 2011 and uh, was offered a full-time job uh, the following year in 2012. So I started in um, a role that was the executive assistant and um, events manager and that probably progressed into um, a pretty strong operations role.
role where I've been involved in both the development of our tracks and also um, the construction of a number of stable complexes in the last few years as, as the training centre and um, racing has grown in, in Ballarat uh, to then uh, when Lachlan looked like um, finishing up in the role and, and resigning um, there was some consideration from the committee as to whether somebody um, already working at the club um, or, and myself would be suitable to transition into that role and um, with their support I've been able to do that since November last year so very grateful to both Lachlan uh, for all the, the things that he taught me over the years but um, also to the committee in, in having that foresight to um, let me transition across into the role after being at the club for about eight years. Belinda, what a wonderful story because uh, they're humble beginnings. Um, you know, the secretary out at Burren Beat Race, uh, Race Club for a meeting that was held once a year to where you are now. And, That's uh, right. We've heard quite a bit through our podcast of, um, of journeys that, that really talk to persistence, resilience, to hard work and uh, you know, just really w- working over a long period of time towards an end goal. So um, here's another one. Yeah, that is, it's, it was an amazing opportunity for me and I'm certainly very grateful of, of both the belief from, from the committee to, to appoint me and um, also just, I guess, the foresight and assistance from Lachlan in, in that transition. So, we'll get very a, lucky. We'll get a little bit more to some of the future stuff in a bit, but I'll, I just want to talk a bit more about the people in racing and, and uh, I guess the curiosity that we have about the industry because I suspect not many of us really understand what a day in a racing environment or an equine industry looks like. Um, it's not nine to five. Um, what sort of people get involved in racing and, and, and why? Um, I think I think a lot of people are, are born into racing. Um, I think a lot of people, uh, you have to have a passion for what you're doing because um, as you um, indicated, they're not ordinary hours. They're, it's not a nine to five job by any means um, and that's hardly for anyone in the industry, I don't think. Um, so... Um, our training tracks and facilities, our track work supervisors are on course from four o'clock in the morning um, and that's six days a week. The tracks are open from 4.30 in the morning. So um, some stables would be up and about and, um, you know, starting to get horses ready and and saddled up um, and, and warmed up sometime after 3.30. Uh, four o'clock so they're long days when when you think that you're starting (laughs) (laughs) starting at that time of the day uh, six days a week Um, and then so our training operations run um, our inner tracks close at 9 30 and the heel track is open till 10 30 or 11 um, also six days a week so that that's the training aspect, um, I guess, covered uh, through that that period of the morning, and, and that can be across our various tracks, whether it's scallop tracks, um, sand track, training grass, uh, the jog track, or the uphill synthetic track. So um, all the all those tracks are used by numerous traders across the morning, and then um, by that time they'll be looking at going um, getting getting horses ready to to float to a race meeting somewhere. So there's race meetings seven days a week. Um, and, you know, a, a different team of staff or, or sometimes the same team of staff will will get horses ready and travel with horses to the races. So this time of year, our races start somewhere between 12.30 and 1.30 and um, the last race is usually around 4.30, 5 o'clock. Um, so depending on where they've travelled to, that can then mean another couple of hours home 
um, travel to get to get home again in the car, and and then once the horse is uh, back to the stables, it, it needs to be be fed and, and to be put away in its box. And um, you know, it could easily be seven or eight o'clock before people are getting home again. That's that's extraordinary, Belinda. What what for both animal and for human? Uh, that's enormous amount of time, isn't it? And uh, a significant. It really workload. is, and I, I, yeah, I think that's where. Um, people have to have a passion for it. Um, you, you wouldn't keep those sorts of hours if, if you didn't love what you were doing and love the horses that you're working with. And um, I guess, yeah, just, just thrive on on the racing industry in general. Which is one of the reasons why it's been such an important industry to keep going because there's uh, an awful lot of jobs, there's an awful lot of employment, there's an awful lot of revenue that uh, that comes from, from racing. And uh, often we just think about the gambling side of things, but there is so much more to it as you're describing. There really is. So, you know, that was touching on sort of the, the staff and, and the personal side to it and, and why people might, might be involved in racing. But um, just just the racing industry to, to Ballarat in general, um, we have 71 trainers at, um, use, using facilities at the Ballarat Turf Club. Um, there's over 500 horses that use tracks and facilities um, on a daily basis. We probably just just in equivalent full time jobs. The the trainers themselves are looking at um, employment of about 160 people, um, and probably contributing a, about 14 million dollars um, in value value added expenditure back into the local economy from thoroughbred racing. So, um, and and that's you know that 160 full time jobs that that's without the, the vets and the farriers and the equine services and the feed merchants that might also support those stables. So um, it is a pretty significant employer, um, but also a significant contributor to the local economy. It's uh, and it's also hidden. I doubt that many people would know that, Belinda. That uh, I mean, again, we 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 associate the Ballarat Cup. We know it's a big day. We know it's a, a great event, but. What you've described is a is a really significant industry to Ballarat. So fourteen million dollars of uh, of economic activity uh, alone, in just in terms that's of the, 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 the racing side of things. So that's extraordinary. And um, yeah, so and, and that's the thing. Um, I think pe- people are familiar with the Ballarat Cup, and they are familiar with maybe a couple of other feature race days. But we actually race thirty six times per year, so um, it's a it's a pretty full calendar, um, and and has us racing pretty regularly. Belinda, uh, we mentioned off air that uh, the McAvoy project is about to be completed. Um, again, it's a really interesting story for Ballarat uh, about Ballarat's growth, about Ballarat's innovation, and, and the opportunities that, are, that present themselves. Can you tell us a bit more about that project for us? Sure. So Ballarat's been um, really quite instrumental in developing training facilities, um, and particularly stabling for um, attracting new trainers to Ballarat. So in recent years, the club has funded stables for Matt Kamani, Mitch Friedman, and also Andrew Noblet as recently as early this year was when Andrew moved in. Um, but our most recent project and and biggest by far is a, a new stable complex for McAvoy Mitchell Racing Team. Um, it's probably two to three times bigger than anything that we've built um, in recent years and, and will accommodate 100 horses. So it will have, um, yeah, 66 uh, stable boxes. It'll have about 40 day yards. Um, it has two 20 horse walkers. Um, has a massive clear span shed, 80 metres by 30 metres, under which all the operations go. So things like um, the, the two 20 horse walkers, uh, t- I think there's 20 odd tie ups, six or eight wash bays, a tack room, all that hop- 
happens under that large shed, which will be be the heart of the racing complex. Um, and and then there's transit boxes and treadmills and uh, feed sheds and yeah, sawdust uh, sheds and muck pits and and all the um, associated sort of infrastructure that needs to go with that. So it's a it's a massive massive complex. Um, unfortunately, it was suspended for a short period of time, two or three months. Um, when, when COVID first hit, just because of the uncertainty within within the racing industry. But thankfully, we were able to get that uh, back on track. And on July 6, the project recommenced. Um, we're hoping that we'll have that finished by December and, and the McAvoy Mitchell Racing Team will be able to move in before the end of the year. Now, there's a few listeners to our podcast who will be aware of the men's shed. They'll be just nicked down to the shed, the man cave down the backyard. But when you're talking about an 80 metre by 30 metre shed, that is enormous. It's massive, yes. <laughs> and it's clear span, so, um, you know, it has, has uh, poles down the outside, but um, it's clear span underneath. So all, all that working hub of the stable will operate uh, under that shed and it'll uh, provide some, some fabulous protection from the uh, winter well, elements, winter, I'm yes, sure, yes. to the staff that are working within that complex. Belinda, how innovative is Ballarat's or are, are Ballarat's facilities and I, I know people talk about world-class training facilities and, and I guess that word can be bandied around a bit but from what you're describing this isn't the sort of stuff that you see around every racetrack. How, how, yeah, how innovative are we here in Ballarat in relation to our, our, our facilities? Yeah, I think that uh, Ballarat has been at the forefront of sort of that innovation in in the stables f- for a few years now, um, and and maybe even looking a little bit further back, um, it was quite innovative for the committee of the time um, to install our uphill um, synthetic training surface. Um, we're the only training centre um, in in Australia that's a, a public training centre that has a facility. Um, of that nature um, and so I think not only with our stable development now but but with developments like the uphill synthetic track um, which is just on 10 years ago um, the committee has been quite innovative for, for a few years and, and I guess trying to keep um, ahead of um, or keep up with that progress to, to meet the growing demands of, of trainers that might be coming to or looking for a training facility that suits their needs. So from the, the committee's perspective, clearly race days are an important part of your revenues and they're great events and so forth, but it's really the year-round training capacity, the, the training facilities that, uh, that really provide the sustainable business model here. They really do, and that's where um, the Ballarat model has probably been a little bit different as well. Um, the committee in recent years and, and with, through Lachlan's foresight as well um, had a real desire to um, – build and own our own stabling infrastructure. Um, And so now we're in a really good position and um, I guess a a situation, a world event like the pandemic we're all working through now, um, emphasises the the need, I guess, to um, have alternative sources of income. Um, And we've been really lucky with, with racing having continued that we've been able to maintain um, a very significant income stream through our rental revenue um, by, by owning the infrastructure and, and having those boxes leased out to trainers who are successful and, and still racing and training. Um, and also in um, the industry has an access levy um, model as well where there is a return to the clubs for every horse that races out of our Ballarat stables. So between those two um, 
sort of revenue streams um, along with club funding. Um, we shouldn't sort of overlook the fact that the, the racing industry is very well supported through Racing Victoria and, and funding to help us maintain particularly our tracks through the um, training tracks and maintenance fund as well through, through Racing Victoria. So again, there's a you know, a lot of attraction around a race day. There's there's gate entry, there's catering, there's there's wagering, there's all sorts of things that go on on course. But the reality is, you've got a really strong business model because there's there's more to it than just uh, what we see on the TV or, or what we see at race days. That's right, and and if we'd purely relied on that, um, we'd be very exposed at a time like this when um, obviously those streams, traditional streams of revenue that you're talking about there now, um, they're, they're the revenue streams that we we lost first of all as as COVID was um, sort of struck upon us, and all of a sudden we weren't allowed to have patrons on course. So all of a sudden there was there was no bar revenue, there was no um, hospitality, um, there's no admission, there's no race book sales uh, because there's no one no one on course. Yeah. yeah. Belinda, what's next? And uh, you've you've outlined what's been a pretty ambitious building plan over a generation or so, really, in Ballarat positioning itself very well. What's what's next for the club? I know you've got some uh, some big plans. So can you can you give away little bits of that for us? <laughs> we can talk a little bit about some of those plans, Michael. So um, I think we don't. We've talked about the last sort of four or five years and, and with the McAvoy development, the focus has been on on the stable developments. And importantly for us now, um, we need to start to consider the facilities and to ensure that we can provide adequate facilities um, for the range of horses and, and the number of trainers that we're going to have um, on course, but but also for just purely the number of horses that we're going to have on, on track. So currently we're looking at, um, sort of accommodating about 500 horses on a daily basis but but we know that um, in December that's going to jump to 600 straight away with the introduction of the the new stables so we need to be very conscious at the moment of um, the growth in our facilities um, we're working through some priorities at the moment um, and and started some discussions even with regional development Victoria um, just about things like whether lighting our uphill track would actually give us um, extra training hours. So so adding lights to that core infrastructure that's already there would extend the training hours by, by two or three hours. So all of a sudden that's maybe 60-odd horses or more a day that um, can be accommodated on that track. Um, we've got some older facilities in our, our Visco track that's, that's under – basically not being used, I was going to say underutilised, but but really has limited use. And we're looking to convert that to a second sand track. So the benefit of that would be maybe accommodating an extra two or 300 horses, um, but also massive safety improvements as well by separating our fast and our slow work. So there's a couple of projects like that that we just need to sort of work through that would give us more track time. Um, and track time has to be a bit of a focus in the short term. Um, but we've got a couple of doozies as well that are the larger scale and, um, you know, so, some some dream projects as well that um, really have some potential and just might get up off the ground too. Um, you probably, is it on the tip of your tongue to ask me about the uphill wood chip well, track? Well, it is. And I, and I wanted to know, yeah, I, I won't push you where you don't want to go, but um, no, I suspect okay. it's also something, Belinda, that could be a wonderful legacy of, of your period at the, at the club. Well, it could be, yeah. So um, for, for those that, yeah, might, might not know the background to that, um, in September last year, 
our former CEO, Lachlan McKenzie, our race course manager, myself and um, an engineer from Racing Victoria were um, very lucky and fortunate to be able to travel to Japan and have a look at um, the uphill wood chip tracks that are um, used in Japan. Um, they're very much a uh, preferred training surface over there and we wanted to see the difference between um, an outdoor uphill wood chip track uh, and also the undercover uphill wood chip track which would be be a dream for us in, in Ballarat to, to have an uphill undercover wood chip track so which is a bit of a tongue twister if, if you say it quick. If you can build a shed that's um, 80 metres by 30 surely you can build a, an uphill you know straight with a, with a roof over the top, you'd reckon, wouldn't you? Well, why not? Um, so I guess it's, it's at a pretty exciting stage. Um, wh- whether it's the uphill wood chip track or, or whether it's the possibility of an uphill sand dune type track, the benefit Ballarat has is that we're through, um, I guess, good foresight from from the committee, um, the fact that we sit on some crown land and also um, some support from the City of Ballarat in putting um, or developing an equine precinct around the turf club um, with it within our parcel of land we're not um, we're not landlocked by any means so we do still have opportunity for development um, and currently we, we'd love to see um, something like the uphill wood chip track um, but it might be that it is something like um, an uphill sand dune track and um, it would continue to certainly provide Ballarat with a, a point of difference um, but it would also be very um, accommodating for us in just allowing more more horse numbers to and, and growth to still happen at Ballarat. So Belinda if we were thinking about 2030 we're thinking about 10 years away uh, with that type of facility in place does that position Ballarat as a quite a unique environment for, for equine services for training for racing and, and, for, and for training services? I think it really would. Um, it it could sort of see us in that within that time frame, um, whether twenty thirty or or whether you know a little bit longer. Um, I think Ballarat really can position itself as the largest training centre in Victoria. Um, you know, we, with a development like that, along with this, the the other smaller developments that we've talked about, um, we can certainly then start to talk about still increasing our capacity in terms of the numbers of horses and all the number of trainers that might be operating from Ballarat. So so some of those projects are going to be key for us to be able to continue to grow. There's a wonderful uh, statement around town where the Goldilocks town, we're not too big, we're not too small, we're just right. And in many ways, uh, you know, if we're a bigger city, if we're sitting in the edge of Melbourne, it's pretty hard to find the real estate to do the sort of things that you're doing. Uh, and any smaller, we we just haven't got the uh, infrastructure or capacity to cope with such a large industry. So we're we're just in that sweet spot, aren't we? I think that we are, and and I think that's something that um, our committee is very aware of. Just talking about racing um, in the Ballarat area, um, there there isn't any point in us sort of putting our hand up and. and um, attracting 100 more horses and, and, you know, more trainers until we know that we've got the mix of facilities right for for everybody. Um, and that's for both our trainers that are on course, uh, for the growth that we know is is happening in the next six months, um, and then to be able to be planning and um, allowing for future growth and more capacity down the track through the development of those other facilities. Belinda, I'm going to ask you to put your, your Ballarat hat on um, as opposed to your, your CEO's hat on. And just get you to think a little bit about what uh, our town might look like with a population of say two hundred thousand people plus. What does it do? What does it look like in your mind? What sort of a, a town is it going to be? What would you like to see? 
and then we might talk about how that might relate to racing. I think the the growth that the city might see in, in, with that sort of population growth, um, things that are going to be crucial is is the good planning for that growth, and I guess maintaining and encouraging vision for the growth. But if there, if there's not good good planning, um, both in services, employment, opportunity to sustain the growth and support the growth, then um, it won't work well for any of us, uh, whether we're talking about industries around Ballarat or whether we're talking about the lifestyle that we we all enjoy. Um, so I think there's some key things there for leaders um, to, to sort of focus on and be really conscious of as we are moving forward to experience that sort of growth in the, in the next few years. Our livability is pretty special, isn't it? And uh, not, being, not compromising that. Is, is crucial and, and I guess what you're saying there is that if if we plan things well and prepare things well then we actually can maintain that great level of livability without uh, compromising the sort of things that we we love about Ballarat at this point in time. That's right and I think that's really important for everybody and um, you know I think given the current environment that we're all working through at the moment I think it, it even highlights the importance of that further that that we we've got a good lifestyle here um, and and it can be maintained with growth if, if we plan and have the right vision sort of from this point going forward so if I think around Australia <coughs> sorry excuse me think around Australia and think about cities of about the 200,000 mark so the Geelongs the, the the Wollongongs and Newcastles and so forth is there a racing presence in those cities? What does that racing presence look like? And if Ballarat's talking about 200,000 plus with 600 horses in training, how, how much of a step is that up from where we are at the moment? Um, so I think we may be a step ahead, um, you know, in terms of the scale of our racing culture. Um, we're probably ahead of some of those other tra- regional centres that you mentioned um, that have a similar, similar population. Um, so, so that's a good scenario already. Uh, we just obviously have to maintain that and um, yeah, keep up, keep up that 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 growth and and accommodating. I guess that livability we're talking about for Ballarat, we need to maintain that within our training centre as well to some extent. Um, our trainers are used to longer training hours than what they might have in a in a metro centre, um, and so we need to be able to provide that. Uh, I was going to say lifestyle, but when I think about getting up at three thirty in the morning, I'm not sure if I can There's go no with the word lifestyle. <laughs> but, Six um, days a week. Yeah, look, they're, they're things that we have to be conscious of as well, um, so that um, there there is a work life balance for our stable staff and for our trainers trainers as well. Um, so that's pretty important. Well being is a critical issue, isn't it? And we think about all professional sports; they all are turning their heads to how do we look after our people in those sports. That's they're, right. They're entertainers. They're they're incredibly talented people. Um, there's a whole lot that goes on behind the scenes, and uh, they need to be looked after. Don't they, they do. So racing's no different. No, it's no different. And yeah. and yeah, I think yeah. you know our our people behind the scenes. They they do put in the hard yards to make it all work. So um, there's there's so many opportunities in racing. Um, and, and when you look at even um, just the employment opportunities. Um, there's, there's so many different levels of people and expertise that can be accommodated within the racing industry. And and we want to, um, I guess, ke- keep that as it is and encourage that, and uh, but, but give everyone the opportunity for some lifestyle balance as well. Belinda, I'm going to ask you, and this is a tough question, I think, because it, sometimes it's not the sort of thing that's foremost in our mind. But if we think about your time as CEO, um, what do you think you'd want to be most known for? Oh, 
haven't thought about that too much before, but um, I guess I would love to leave the legacy um, that you know, I, I've been left in a, in a really solid position where I, I've started from um, in that there's been amazing growth at Ballarat and um, probably couldn't have a, a better platform to take over the, the role. Um, the club's in a very healthy position and, and training, racing's got, you know, quite strong in Ballarat. Um, so I'd, I hope, <laughs> big shoes to fill, but I hope that I can maintain that. Um, but I think for me, uh, on, on a personal level, um, I want to be approachable to our industry so I think I, I want to have that open door where people can uh, talk to me about their development ideas uh, talk to me about the issues uh, talk to me about the problems if, if there are issues and problems you know in the background that we may not see ourselves and um, work with all of our industry for for the betterment of the Ballarat Turf Club and for racing in general. It's a wonderful legacy to leave and uh openness and uh, you add to that a bit of humility because you might not always have the answers and other people might bring them with you so they're uh, they're pretty good qualities to bring as a CEO aren't they yeah I, I think that we, we will continue to advance um, and we will continue to grow by by working together so Belinda I have one last question for you and I think you do know it's coming and it's the one that I ask everybody at the, about this time in our podcast it's a bit weird um, but it's a very simple one I just want you to finish this sentence for me it all comes down to. Thankfully, I had a little bit of a heads up on this, um, and I think it follows on really well from um, what we, what we've just talked about. But but for me, um, it all comes down to working hard to achieve our goals um, and working in partnership with others to make the job easier. Belinda Glass, you've been a delightful uh, delightful guest today. Thank you very much for your time. We appreciate your insights on thought leaders and future shapers, and uh, all the best with what's ahead in, in some strange times. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Michael, and we look forward to working with Committee for Ballarat.